0: Hello everybody and welcome to the Grand your Weekly Feel Good Podcast where this week we talk about a brand new virtual reality video game. We read more chapters of Peter and Wendy and I give some of my friends a shout out. That's right, this week we talk about The Walking Dead Saints and Sinners virtual reality game now out on PlayStation VR and I think a couple of other consoles, but I can't be certain about that because I didn't do any research. I also give a couple of shoutouts to some of my friends who have recently gotten into the business of content creation and it just warms my fucking heart. And we do three chapters of Peter and Wendy. But first, here at the top of the hour, I wanted to say, if you enjoy The Going Cast and would like to support The Going Cast, there's lots of ways in which you can do that. Go to patreon.com forward slash Goin' Cast, where you can be a $5 patron and get access to the monthly live streams. And, hopefully, I haven't, tr- I haven't done it yet, but I'm hopeful that it'll work. Um, I'm working on an exclusive series that I will be putting up on Patreon as well. I don't want to spoil it just yet, because I haven't actually created the first episode. Um, so I don't know if it's going to work or not, but once I know it works, then I will let you know about it. But there will be an exclusive series going up on Patreon. It's going to be a video series, um, going up on Patreon and I'm really, really excited about it. I hope it works out and I hope it doesn't suck because this is something I've wanted to do for a really long time and I finally figured out a way to do it. Once I have more details on if it actually worked, I'll let you guys know about it most likely next week. Um, shoot, I had something else. What the hell was it? Yes. Also, um, if you would subscribe on iTunes and give a give a rating to the podcast there, that would be tremendously helpful. Helps climb the uh, the old podcasting ranks. And I think that's about it. Really, I'm doing okay. Um, in case you were wondering, it's it's been a it's been another crazy week for me. I am weirdly very tired and um, just hanging in there. I, the world is so strange nowadays you know days of the week really really don't have much meaning anymore um because like what you're gonna go hang out with your friends on Friday Pfft, no I don't think so I don't think so it all blurs together um but yeah I'm doing okay I uh I've got some fun things working in the in the background like the new patreon series um some new audiobook projects that I'm gonna be working on over the next couple of months those sorts of things and all that stuff and I just wanted to take a moment to thank you all for listening to to the podcast in this troubling time. Um, it, it means the absolute world to me that people still still listen to my audiobooks and listen to the podcast and, oh god, it's just it just warms my heart. Uh, but that's enough of me just, you know, being a sap. <laughs> Let's get into this week's episode of The Going Up Cast. Alrighty! I think it's time for another Peter and Wendy chapter. We're just going to dive right back into it. Um, this appears to be chapter 8, The Mermaid's Lagoon. If you shut your eyes, and are a lucky one, you may see at times a shapeless pool of lovely pale colors suspended in the darkness. Then if you squeeze your eyes tighter, the pool begins to take shape, and the colors become so vivid that, with another squeeze, they must go on fire. But just before they go on fire, you see the lagoon. This is the nearest you ever get to it on the mainland, just one heavenly moment. If there could be two moments, you might see the surf and hear the mermaid singing. The children often spent long summers on days on this lagoon, swimming or floating most of the time, playing the mermaid games in the water. What's a mermaid game. And so forth. You must not think from this that the mermaids were on friendly terms, page 123 with them. On the contrary, it was among Wendy's latest regrets, or lasting regrets, that all the time she was on the island, she never had a civil word uh, from one of them when she stole softly to the edge of the lagoon she might see them by the score especially on Marooner's Rock where they loved to bask combing their hair in lazy ways that quite irritated her or she might even swim on tiptoes as it were to within a yard of them but then they saw her and dived probably splashing her with her tails not by accident but intentionally and here is a uh, artist rendering of these mermaids they appear to be um, well mermaidian I guess There's a lot of bubbles for some reason And what appear to be birds of various shapes and sizes And then Peter flying over the mermaids And that's about it, really There's a rainbow, I think It's weirdly fragmented Oh, it's the mountain behind it shining through the rainbow It's pretty good art Summer day is on the lagoon, it's called They treated all the boys in the same way Except, of course, Peter Who chatted with them on Marooner's Rock by the hour And sat on their tails when they got cheeky He gave Wendy one of their combs The most haunting time at which to see them is at the turn of the moon when the under utter. I'm going to stop now when they utter strange wailing cries but the lagoon is dangerous for mortals then and until the um evening of which we have now to tell wendy had never seen the lagoon by moonlight less from fear for of Pete, for of course peter would have accompanied her than uh, then because she had strict rules about everyone page 124 being in bed by 7 she was often at the lagoon. However, on sunny days after rain, when the mermaids come up in extraordinary numbers to play with their bubbles—the bubbles of many colors made of made in rainbow water—they treat as balls, hitting them gaily from one another with their tails and trying to keep them in the rainbow till they burst. The goals, are at the end of the, each um, are at each end of the rainbow, and the keepers are only allowed to use their hands. Sometimes hundreds of mermaids will uh, be playing in the lagoon at a time, and it is quite a pretty sight but the moment the children tried to join in they had to play by themselves for the mermaids immediately disappeared nevertheless we have proof that they um, secretly watched the interlopers and we're not talking um, and we're not above taking an idea from them Uh, for John introduced a new way of hitting the bubble with its head um, with the head instead of the hand and the mermaid gold keepers adopted it this is the one mark that John has left on the Neverland oh okay well good good for you John You, you invented bubble soccer I hope it was worth it It must also have been rather pretty to see the children resting on a rock for half an hour after their midday meal. Wendy insisted on their prayer for 125 doing this, and it had to be a real rest even though the meal was make-believe. So they lay in the sun and their bodies glistened while she sat beside them and looked important. On, it was on, nope, yeah, it was one such day. And they were all on Marooners Rock. The rock was not so much larger than their great bed, but of course they all knew how not to take up too much room. And they were dozing, or at least lying with their eyes shut, and pinching occasionally—um, uh, yeah, pinching occasionally when they thought Wendy was not looking. She was very busy stitching. While she stitched, a change came over the lagoon. Little shivers ran over, it, and the sun went away, and the shadows stole across the water, turning it cold. When you could no longer see to thread her needle, and when she looked up, the lagoon had, um, that had always hitherto been such a laughing place seemed formidable and unfriendly. It was not, she knew, that night had come, but something as dark as night had come, no worse than that. It had not come, but it had sent that shiver through the sea to say that it was coming. What was it? There crowded upon her all the stories that she had been told of Mariners Rock, so called because evil captains put sailors on it, leaving them there to drown. They drown when the tide rises, for then it is submerged. Of course, she should shrouded the children at once Not merely because of the unknown that was stalking toward them But because it was no longer good for them to sleep on a rock that had grown chilly But she was a young mother And she did not know this She thought you simply uh, must stick to your rule about half an hour after midday meal So, though fear was upon her And she longed to hear male voices She would not waken them Even when she heard the sound of a muffled oar uh, Though her heart was in her mouth She did not waken them She stood over them to let them have their sleep was it not brave of wendy it was well for those boys then that there was one among them who could sniff danger even asleep peter sprang erect as wide awake as um, at once as a dog with one warning cry he roused the others page one or something. he sat motionless one hand on his yes pirates he cried the others came close to him A strange smile was playing on his face and wendy saw it and shuddered while that smile was on his face no one dared address him they all all they could do was stand ready to obey the orders came sharp and incisive incis- dive there was a gleam of legs an instant the lag- lagoon seemed deserted marooner's rock stood alone in the forbidding waters as if it was itself marooned the boat drew near him. it was a pirate dinghy with three figures in her smee and starkey and the third a captive none other than tiger lily who we i don't think i've ever directly interacted with just heard stories of she's one of the indigenous peoples that's a great name by the way Tiger Lily her hands and ankles were tied and she knew what was to be her fate she was to be left on the rock to perish an end to one of her race more terrible than death by fire or torture for is it not written in the book of the tribe that there is no path through the water to the happy hunting ground her face was impassive she was the daughter of a chief she must die a chief's daughter it is enough they had caught her boarding the pirate ship one twenty-eight, with a knife in her mouth no watch was kept on the ship being um, it being Hook's boat uh, it's i think it's supposed to say boat but it says boasts it being hooks boasts boast that the wind of his name guarded the ship for a mile around now her fate would help to guard it also one more whale would go the round in the wind by night in the gloom they had brought with them the two pirates did not see the rock till they crashed into it um interesting so in the gloom they brought with them. I guess it is a world of fantasy, and since the pirates are, like, the villains of the of the island, or one of the villains, I don't really know, Um, I guess it makes sense that they kind of move with, a, with like, a gloom around them. That makes a little bit of sense. Sure, we'll go for it. Um, oh, it's Smee's voice. Love you, lover! Cried an Irish voice that was Smee's. He's Irish? All right. Here, Selorok! Now then, what do we have to do to host the indigenous people onto it and leave it there to drown? Was that Irish? I don't even know. That's McGonagall, for one thing. Um, I can't do... I can't ever separate Scottish from Irish in my head. So I'm just gonna go back to the bubbly, smee voice that I had before. It was the work of one brutal moment to land the beautiful girl on the rock. She was too proud to offer a vain resistance. Quite near the rock, but out of sight, two heads were bobbing up and down. Peter and Wendy's... Uh, Wendy was crying... Whereas the first tragedy she had seen, Peter had seen many tragedies, but he had forgotten them all. He was less sorry than Wendy for Tiger Lily. It was two against one that angered him, and he meant to save her. An easy way would have been to wait until the pirates had gone. Page 129, But he never—he uh, was never one to choose the easy way. There was almost nothing he could do. He now imitated the voice of Hook. Ahoy there, you lubbers! I forget Hook's voice. I think it was—wasn't it Snape? little Snapey. Um, I think. I think he called. It was a marvelous imitation. The captain, said the pirates, staring at each other in surprise. He must be swimming out to us, Starkey said, when they had to look for him in vain. Um, we are putting the indigenous people on the rock, Smee called out. Set her free, came the astonishing answer. Free? Yes, cut the bonds and let her go. But captain, at once dear, cried Peter, I'll plunge my hook into here This is queer, S- uh, Smee gasped. But I do what the captain orders, Starkey said nervously. Aye, aye, Smee said, and he cut Tiger Lily's colts. At once, like an eel, she slid between Starkey's legs into the water. Of course, Wendy was very elated over page one-third Peter's cleverness, but she knew that he would be elated also, and very likely crow, and thus betray himself. So once her hand went to cover his mouth. But it stayed, um, but it was stayed even in the act, for... "'Boat ahoy!' Oh, "'Boat ahoy!' rang over the lagoon in Hook's voice, and this time it was not Peter who had spoken. Peter may have been about to crow, but his face puckered into a whistle of surprise instead. "'Boat ahoy!' came the cry again. Now Wendy understood the real hook was also in the water. He was swimming to the boat, and his men showed a light to guide him, and he soon reached them. In the light of the lantern, Wendy saw his hook grip the boat's side. She saw his evil, swarthy face as he rose, dripping from the water and quaking. She would have liked to swim away, but Peter would not budge. He was tingling with life, and also top-heavy with conceit. Um, Am I not a wonder? Oh, I am a wonder he whispered to her though she thought so also she was really glad for his sake of the reputation that no one heard him except herself one thirty one. he sigh signed to her to listen two pirates were very curious to know what had brought their captain to them but he sat with his head on his hook in a position of profound melancholy captain is all well they asked timidly but he answered with a hollow moan he sighs no fucking what the hell was Smee's voice "'He sighs,' said Smee. "'He sighs again,' said Stocky. "'And he sighs a third time,' said Smee. "'What's up, Captain?' And "'At last he spoke passionately. "'The game's up!' he cried. "'Those boys have found a mother!' "'Frighted though she was, Wendy swelled with pride. "'Oh, evil day!' cried Stocky. "'What's a mother?' asked the ignorant Smee. "'Wendy was so shocked that she exclaimed, "'He doesn't know!' "'And always after this she felt that as "'if you could have a pet pirate Smee "'would have been her one.' Peter pulled her beneath the water. For Hook started up crying. What was that? Page one thirty-two. No, oh, I had nothing," said Stocky, raising the lanterns over the water. And the pirates looked. Um, they saw a strange sight. It was the nest I have told you of, floating on the lagoon, and the never bird was sitting on. It. See," said Hook, in answer to Smee's question. That is a mother. What a lesson! The nest must have fallen into the water, but would the mother desert her eggs? No. There was a break in his voice, for at that moment he recalled innocent days when. But he brushed away the weakness with his hook. Smee, much impressed, gazed at the bird as in the nest was borne past. But more but the more suspicious dark, he said, if, a mother, if she's a mother, perhaps she's hanging about here to help Peter. Hook winced. Aye, he said, that is the fear that haunts me. He was roused from this dejection by Smee's eager voice. Captain, said Smee, can we not kidnap these boys' mother and make it our mother? That is a princely scheme, cried Hook. At once it took practical shape in his great brain. We will seize the children and carry them to page 133 to the boat. The boys will we will make walk the plank, and Wendy shall be our mother. Again Wendy forgot herself. Never, she cried and bobbed. What was that? But they could see nothing. They thought it must have been a leaf in the wind. You agree, my bullies, said Hook. There's my hand on it, they both said. And there's me, Hook. Swear. They all swore. By this time they were on the rock, and suddenly Hook remembered Lily. Where is the indigenous peoples? Person. Indigenous person. <laughs> Where's Tiger Lily? He demanded abruptly. He had a playful humor at his moments, and they thought this was one of his moments. That's all right, Captain. Smith. Captain Smee answered complacently. We let her go. Let her go? Cried Hook. Twas your own orders, Borson faltered. He called over the water for us to let her go, said Stalky. Brimstone and gall, thundered Hook. What's cozening in here? His face was gone black with rage, but he saw they believed their words, and he was startled lads he said shaking a little i gave no such order it's passing queer said smear smear <Sir>, smear 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 and they all fidgeted uncomfortably hook raised his voice but there was a quiver in it spirits that haunt this dark lagoon tonight he cried dost hear me of course peter should have kept quiet but of course he did not he immediately answered and hook's out in voice Odds, bobs, hammer, and tongs. I hear you. and that supreme moment, Hook did not blanch, even at the gales, but Smee and Starky clung to each other in terror. Who are you, stranger? Speak, Hook demanded. I am James Hook, replied the voice, Captain of the Jolly Roger. You are not, you are not, Hook cried hoarsely. Brimstone and gall, the voice retorted. Say that again and I'll cast anchor in you. Hook tried a more ingratiating manner. If, page 135, you are Hook he almost said humbly come tell me who am I a codfish replied the voice only a codfish a codfish Hook echoed blankly and it was then but not till then that his proud spirit broke he saw his men draw back from him have we been captained all this time by a codfish they muttered it is lowering our pride they were his dog snapping at him a tragic figure though he had become he scarcely heeded them against such fearful evidence it was not their belief in him that he needed it was his own he felt his ego slipping from him "'Don't desert me, bully!' he whispered hoarsely to it. In his dark nature, there was a touch of the feminine, as in all the great pirates, and something gave him intuitions. Suddenly, he gave he tried the guessing him. "'Hook!' he called. "'Have you another voice?' Now Peter could never resist a game, and he answered blithely in his own voice. "'I have.' "'And another name?' page 136. Hi I.' "'Vegetable?' said Hook. "'No.' "'Mineral?' "'No.' "'Animal?' "'Yes.' "'Man?' "'No.' the answer rang scorn out scornfully boy yes ordinary boy no wonderful boy to Wendy's pain the answer rang out uh, this time yes are you in England no are you here yes Hook was completely puzzled you ask him some questions he said to the others wiping his damn brow Smee reflected "Mm, I can't think of anything said regretfully page 137 can't guess can't guess crowed Peter do you give it up of course, his pride, Um, it was, in his pride, he was carrying the game too far. Miscrin saw their chance. Yes, yes, they cried eagerly. Well, then, he cried. I am Peter Pan. Pan! In a moment, Hook was himself again, Smee and Starkie were his faithful henchmen. Now we have him, Hook shouted. Into the water, Smee, Starkie, mind the boat. Take him dead or alive. He leapt as he spoke, simultaneously, gave him the gay voice of Peter. Are you ready, boys? I don't know why he sounds like that all of a sudden. I need some tea, horn. Huh? Uh, aye, aye, from various parts of the lagoon then lamb into the pirates the fight was short and sharp the first to draw blood was John who gallantly climbed to the boat and held Starkey there was a fierce struggle in which the cutlass was torn from the pirate's grasp he wriggled overboard and John leapt after him the dinghy drifted away here and there a head bobbed in the water there was a flash of steel followed by a cry or whoop In the confusion some struck at their own side the corkscrew of Smee got toodles in the fourth rib but he himself um, but he was himself pinked and turned by Curly farther in on the rock Starkey was pressing slightly and the twins hard. Where all this time was Peter? He was seeking bigger game. The others were all brave boys, and they must not be blamed for backing from the pirate captain. His iron claw made a circle of dead water around him, from which they fled like affrighted fishes. There was one who did not fear him. There was one prepared to enter that circle. Strangely, it was not in the water uh, that they met. Hook rose to the rock to breathe, and at the same moment, Peter scaled it from the opposite side. The rock was slippery as a ball, and they had to crawl rather than climb. Neither knew that the other was coming. Each felt for, uh, feeling for a grip met... Uh, each feeling for a grip met the other's arms and in surprise they raised um page 139 their heads their faces were almost touching so they met some of the greatest heroes have confessed that just before they fell to um fell to they had a sinking had it been so with peter at that moment i would admit it ha after all this was the only man the sea cook had feared but pe- oh this is the only man the sea cook had feared right long john that's right but peter had no sinking He had one feeling only, gladness, and he gnashed his pretty teeth with joy. Quiz as a thought, he snatched a knife from Hook's belt and was about to drive it home. When he saw he was higher up the rock than his foe, would not have been a fighting fair, he gave the pirate a hand to help him up. It was then that Hook bit him. Not the pain of this, but the unfairness uh, was what dazed Peter. It made him quite helpless. He can only stare horrified. Every child is affected thus the first time he is treated unfairly. All he thinks is that um, he has a right to, when he comes to you, Uh, to be yours is fairness after you have been unfair to him he will love you again but he will never afterwards be quite the same boy no one will ever get over the first page 140 unfairness no one except Peter he often met it and he always forgot it I suppose that was the real difference between him and all the rest so when he met it now it was like for the first time he could just stare helpless twice the the iron hand clawed him a few minutes afterwards the other boy saw Hook in the water striking wildly for the ship um, no elation in his pestilent face, now only white fear, for the crocodile was in dogged pursuit of him. On ordinary occasions, a boy would have swung alongside cheering, but now they felt uneasy, for they had lost both Peter and Wendy, and were scouring, scouring the lagoon for them, uh, calling them by name. They found the dinghy and went um, home in it, shouting Peter and Wendy as they went, but no answers came, save mocking laughter from the mermaids. They must be swimming back or flying, the boys concluded. They were not very anxious. They had such faith in Peter. They chuckled boy-like, because they would be late for bed, and it was all Mother Wendy's fault. When their voices died away, there came the cold silence of the lagoon, and then a feeble cry. Page 141. Help! Help! Two small figures were beating against the rock. The girl had fainted and lay on the boy's arm. With the last effort, Peter pulled her up the rock and lay down beside her. Even at, um, Even as he also fainted, he saw the water was rising. He knew that they would soon be drowned, and he could do no more. As they lay side by side, a mermaid caught Wendy by the feet and began pulling her softly into the water. Peter, feeling her slip from him, woke with a start and was just um, in time to draw her back, but he had to tell her the truth. "'We're on the rock, Wendy,' he said, "'but it is growing small, as soon the water will be over it.' She did not understand even now. "'We must go,' she said almost brightly. "'Yes,' he answered faintly. "'Shall we swim or fly, Peter?' he had to tell her. "'Do you think you could swim or fly as far as the island, Wendy, without my help?' She had to admit that she was too tired. Page 142. He moaned. "'What is it?' she asked, anxious about him at once can't save you, Wendy. Hook wounded me. I can neither fly nor swim. Do you mean that we shall both be drowned? Look at how the water is rising. They put their hands over their eyes to shut out the sight. They thought there would soon be no more. As they sat, thus something brushed against Peter as light as a kiss and stayed there, as if saying timidly, Can I be abused? It was the tail of a kite, which Michael had made some days before. It had torn itself out of his hands and floated away. Michael's kite, Peter said without interest. The next moment he had seized the tail and and was pulling the kite toward him. It lifted Michael off the ground, he cried. Why should it not carry you? Both of us. It can't lift two. Michael and Curly tried. Let's draw lots, Wendy said bravely. And you a lady never. Already he had, page 143, tied the tail around her. She clung to him and refused to let him go, but uh, with a, goodbye, Wendy. He pushed her from the rock and in a few minutes she was borne out of sight. Peter was alone in the lagoon. The rock was very small now. Soon it would be submerged pale rays of light tiptoed across the water and by the by there was to be heard a sound at once the most musical and the most melancholy in the world the mermaids calling to the moon peter was not like the other boys but he was afraid at last a tremor ran through him like a shuddering like a shutter passing over the sea but on the sea one shudder follows another till there are hundreds of them and peter felt just the one next moment he was standing erect on the rocky end with that smile on his face and a drum beating within him it was saying to die will be an awfully big adventure, and then there's a uh, there's a drawing here of Peter on the rock with a with a like a sailor's cap on a stick next to him, and with the quote saying, "To die will be an awfully big adventure." Huh? <laughs> Do not fear death, parody, too. Death is what the next great adventure. So, if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, or if you're just tuning in for the first time, which is welcome, I like PlayStation virtual reality games. In fact, some of my all-time favorite video gaming experiences have occurred in the virtual space. And I know that virtual reality is not really controversial, but not a lot of people are really talking about it, at least not in the media spheres I consume. Uh, and I think one of the one of the big reasons is is that there's yet to be like a really good flagship title, you know what I mean? Like Half Life, Alex probably moved several pieces of kit just based on the fact that it's a Half Life game, and by all accounts, it's a really fun virtual reality experience. And I think having not played it, it looks like it. And PlayStation has a couple of things that I would consider to be a lot of fun. Like, the Batman virtual reality game and MOSS are the two that come to mind, but I just picked up a brand new one the other day, at least it's brand new to me, and that was The Walking Dead Saints and Sinners, I believe is what it's called, Um, and I want to give kudos to that game for making me almost shit my pants like the second it started. I think in terms of raw atmosphere and making you just completely forget about the world beyond your lens This game does a really good job. It has the, not really cell shading, but it has a sort of cartoony style reminiscent of the Telltale Walking Dead games, which makes sense because Skybound um, is involved in the making of this game as they were involved in the making of the Telltale Walking Dead games. So it's got a kind of fake, it's not really realism, it's not really cartoony, but it's definitely not like, you know, the highest end of graphics, but it has, It makes really good use of things that they did in like Silent Hill. Like there's a lot of fog and there's a lot of shadow and it's really dark and you can't really see shit that's like 50 feet away from you but once you're within like 20 feet then you do and that's when you start hearing the fucking zombies. So in terms of atmosphere I think it's one of the best VR games I've ever played because right away you're in it. The load times are a little brutal Like, it it takes like a solid minute or two for that fucking thing to boot up. So it takes a minute, and you're just kind of standing there wearing this VR headset holding your controllers, being like, I want to kill some zombies. And I almost wonder if it's intentional, because it kind of adds to the anticipation of of getting into the game. In terms of combat, from a virtual reality standpoint, I think this game has one of the most sophisticated combat systems um, I've seen in a game. The number of weapons is really fun. the the mannerisms in which you have to handle the weapons varies wildly between what it is. How you reload the gun, the angle in which you use a shiv, the functionality of two-handed weapons, a bow and arrow, all sorts of fun stuff. And then there's all the fucking random shit you could pick up off the ground to use to kill zombies, like a Jack Daniels bottle, or a frying pan. And the zombies themselves, like, each one gives me this huge adrenaline spike. The first couple of zombies you meet don't fucking move. They stand there motionless, giving you time to grab them by the head and stab them in the ear. And that fucking knife is stuck in that skull. Meaning that when the zombie goes down, you gotta put your hand back on the other side of the skull and yank that son of a bitch out of there. And it's very visceral, it's a violent game. I will be straight up honest with you. This is M for sure. Because unlike other games, like it's very much like you gotta wiggle that knife and you gotta pull it out. And then once the zombies start actually moving toward you, it's not so much a question of whether or not the controls are any good versus me freaking the fuck out, as I'm trying to grab this zombie before it gets me. Because if you don't grab it and keep it away from you, that motherfucker's gonna get you. And then you gotta shake him free and it's this whole it's this whole thing. So it's a timing game. You got your one-hander and you got your zombie and you gotta hit it in the head nothing else is gonna do nothing you gotta hit him in the head and without fail every time I've shot that gun another zombie has come up I'm pretty sure they spawn in when you use it like it wasn't there before but you shot a gun now there's an extra zombie you gotta deal with that's the risk you take you kill from distance for the safety but you fire that gun you're gonna have to deal with another zombie so I take that for what you will the very first quest in the game once you get past like the tutorial line Is this woman whose husband has turned into a zombie. And she couldn't fucking pull the trigger. So now you gotta go do it. And you get into that house. And you know. You know. He's on the second floor. And you just went through a fucking street of shit. Street of zombies. To get here. Your heart is racing. You are stressed. You have the key to the fucking room. And you get there. And you hear him on the other side. And you know what you have to do. And you can't do it. And you fucking put the key in the lock and you turn it and you open it like you're willingly putting yourself in this adrenaline driving situation in which you have to take out yet another Zambambarino And it's really good. I cannot do horror games. I can't do horror movies. I don't like getting scared. I cannot wait to play this game again because it's such a like a raw experience which isn't something I usually get in video games. Most of my media is pretty chill. Great British Baking Show, she raw Avatar Last Airbender, like really nice, calm, animated, usually entertainment. I play Pokemon, like really relaxed stuff. So this game is a huge break from the norm for me. And I think it's really good. If you have a virtual reality system, I think this is one of the best things to come out on it ever. It does such a great job. And from what I can tell, I think it's a pretty good length game. Some VR games are a couple of hours because you can't really wear that thing for more than a couple of hours at a time. Like um, Blood and Truth, which is another fantastic game for the PlayStation, I think that runtime is about four to five hours, depending on how speedily you can get through it. It's a pretty short game overall. It's a really fun experience, but it's a pretty short game. And I think with VR, that's okay because it's such a real experience any more than that and you get kind of sick of it like Trover Saves the Universe I will not finish that game that game warrants welcome out really fucking quickly but Walking Dead Saints and Sinners I think the the act of hunting and killing the zombies the act of being spooked figuring out what the hell's going on and what you're trying to do to survive the the weapon customization uh, this game actually has some character customization um, not a lot because it really it's really just your hands is what you got. but you um, it's the first time I've ever seen a VR game where it allows you to pick the gender of your character and the skin tone of your character. I've never seen another VR game do that. This is the first one. Most of the time you're like just this generic um, like ubiquitous character that anybody can fit the mold of like a ghost or an owl. you know it's just like it doesn't it doesn't matter what you are. You' just you're just this omnipresent character. And I love those games too. Um, like uh, I think it's called Ghost Child. I'm not 100% on that one. Um, and Moss are the two that come to my head where you're like this omnipresent force working through a level. And those games are a lot of fun too, but Walking Dead Saint and Sinner, you feel vulnerable. You feel like you're there. It's stressful. It's high octane fear. And it's really, really fun. So that game is, is one of the best VR games I've played. In a, in a long time, and I'm really glad I got it, despite the fact that it's probably going to make me piss myself any day now, any day now but that's enough of that uh, let's move on to the next thing, the podcast <laughs> <laughs> ow okay <laughs> chapter 9, The Neverbird oh good, I was hoping that we would get more fucking description of this bird i have no image in my head about what this bird looks like because i don't remember it from the movie but then again i don't remember much of anything from the movie because i haven't seen the movie since i was a kid but i will absolutely watch the movie blah, excuse me once i'm done reading this book i just don't want the um the movie to influence my audiobook more than it already is you know what i mean um like with my interpretation of Sme and stuff like that uh, the last sound Peter heard before he was quite alone were the mermaids retiring one by one to their bedchambers under the sea it was too far away to hear their doors shut but every door in the coral cave uh, where they lived rings a tiny bell when it opens or closes as in all the nicest homes on the mainland and he heard the bells steadily the water rose so they were nibbling at his feet and it passed the time until they made their final gulp he watched the only thing moving on the lagoon he thought it was a piece of floating paper, perhaps part of the kite, and wondered idly how long it would take to drift ashore. Presently, he noticed as an odd thing that it was undoubtedly out upon the lagoon with some definite purpose, for it was fighting the tide and sometimes winning. And when it won, Peter, always sympathetic to the weaker side, could not help clapping. No such a gallant piece of paper. It's not really a piece of paper at all. It was the netherbird, making desperate efforts to reach Peter on her nest. By working her wings in a way she had learned since um, the nest fell into the water, she was able to some extent to guide her strange craft but by the time peter recognized her she was very exhausted she had come to save him to give him her nest though there were eggs in it i rather wonder at the bird for though he had been nice to her it had also sometimes tormented he had also sometimes tormented her i can suppose only that like mrs darling and the rest of them she was melted because he had all his first teeth <laughs> she called out to him um, what she had come for and he called out to her what she was doing there but of course neither of them understood the other's language in fanciful stories people page 146 can talk freely to birds and I wish for the moment I could pretend this was such a story and to say Peter replied intelligently to the never bird but truth is best and I want to tell only what really happened well not only could they not understand each other they forgot their manners oh apparently the bird talks okay I'm gonna give her McGonagall's voice I want you to get into the nest, the bird called, speaking as slowly and distinctly as possible. Oh, and then you can drift ashore. But I am too tired to bring it any nearer, so you must try to swim to it. What are you quacking about? Peter answered. Why don't you let the nest drift as usual? i want you the bird said and repeated it all over oh this is a short chapter <laughs> It's almost done and peter tried sl- um then peter tried slow and distinct what are you quacking about and so on the never bird became irritated they have very short tempers. you done headed little jay she screamed why don't you do as i tell you page 147 peter felt that she was calling him names and he ventured um and at a venture he retorted hotly so are you then rather curiously they both snapped out the same remark Shut up, shut up Shut up, shut up, shut up. Nevertheless, the bird was determined to save him if she could. And by one last mighty effort she propelled the nest against the rock. Then she flew up, deserting her eggs so as to make her meaning clearer. Then alas he understood and clutched the nest and waved his thanks to the bird as she fluttered overhead. It was not to receive his thanks, however, as she hung there in the sky. It was not even to watch him get into the nest. Uh it was to see what he did with her eggs there were two large white eggs and Peter lifted them up and reflected the bird covered her face with her wings so as not to see the last of her eggs but she could not help peeping between the feathers I forget whether I have told you that there was a stave on the rock driven in by some page a buccaneer of long ago to mark the site of his buried treasure the children had discovered the glittering horde and went in a mischievous mood used to fling showers of mortiores diamonds pearls and pieces late to the gulls who pounced upon them um uh for food and then flew away raging at the scurvy trick that had been played upon them the stave was still there, and on its dark, he had hung his hat a deep, tarpauling watertight with a broad brim. Peter put the eggs into this hat and set it on the lagoon. It floated beautifully. The neverbird saw at once what he was up to and screamed her admiration of him. But alas, Peter crowed his agreement with her. Um, And alas. Sorry, not but alas. And he got into the nest, um, reared the stave in it as a mast, and hung his shirt up as a sail. At the same moment, the bird fluttered down upon the hat and once more sat snugly on her eggs. She drifted in one direction, and he was borne off in another, both cheering. Of course, when Peter landed, uh, he beached his bark in a place where the bird would easily find it, but the hat was such a great success that she abandoned the nest. It drifted about, page 149, till it went to pieces, and often Starkey came to the shore of the lagoon and with many bitter feelings watched the bird sitting on his hat. As we shall not see her again, it may be worth mentioning here that all Neverbirds now build in the shape of nests, with a broad brim on which the youngsters take an airing. Uh, Great with the rejoicings, Peter reached the home under the ground almost as soon as Wendy, who had been carried hither and thither by the kite. Every boy had adventures to tell, but perhaps the biggest adventure of all was that they were several hours late for bed. This so inflated them that they did various dodgy things to uh, get staying up still longer, such as demanding bandages. But Wendy, though uh, glorying in having them all home, again, safe and sound, was scandalized by the lateness of the hour and cried, to bed, to bed, in a voice that they had to obey. Next day, however, she was awfully tender, gave out bandages to everyone, and they played till bedtime at limping about and carrying their arms in slings. Page 150. That is, that's the end of that chapter. Probably the shortest chapter so far. It was only like seven minutes. One thing that I really enjoy about the ongoing situation is the fact that many people have turned to creating content for YouTube and Twitch. And I think that's fantastic. When I was in college, um, I had a YouTube channel that I ran for like five years. And I played God knows what on it, like Harry Potter games and Lego games, like a whole bunch of stuff. Whole bunch of stuff. I think you can still find it, but I'm not going to tell you the name of it. Um, it's it would not be difficult to figure out if you uh, if you were really curious. Anyway, um, what I want to do in this uh, moment of the podcast is I want to give some some shout outs to a couple of my a couple of my friends and uh, who who have turned to the creation of content online, uh, who both make really good quality stuff. Um, that I wanted to, to kind of just draw some attention to because I think it's really entertaining and I want them to succeed where I failed because on all my five years of YouTubing it never really went anywhere and you know what, that's that's fine. Um, it was still a lot of fun. So the first person, if you go to, if you go on YouTube and look up Snowy Zombie, you will find a good friend of mine who is currently playing a lot of Minecraft and Pokemon Nuzlocks. And oh my god, I am such a huge fan of Pokemon Nuzlocke runs. It's it's kind of a problem for me. Um they are they are so entertaining to watch and to play. And Snowy Zombie has a has a breadth of Pokemon knowledge that uh really adds a lot of insight to the videos. So good on you, Snowy Zombie. Some good stuff there. And the other person I wanted to give a shout out to is on Twitch under the name of Goblin Screwdriver and they are playing Resident Evil 7 virtual reality which is just quite simply delicious. It is absolutely fantastic. Um it is it's it's fun for me because I never played Resident Evil 7 so I get to watch a uh, good buddy of mine play through Resident Evil 7 and it's really good stuff. So go subscribe to so- Snowy Zombie and go follow Goblin Screwdriver on Twitch. And there you go. I I think it's fantastic. Like I know in in the world of Content creation. It always seems like there's a there's a saturation of the market But that that should never stop you from making things that you enjoy making You know in my head you should create what you want to create Regardless of what already is out there, you know, like if this is your passion Fucking go for it and just because your 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 numbers might seem small or just because whatever right a, you're just starting out, and it. Everybody starts off in the same boat. We all do. Some people hit it big, and whoop-de-do for them. But in my opinion, if you make art that you enjoy and that you're passionate about, the audience, the right audience, will find you. That I firmly believe that. And if you make art that you're proud of, then, in my head, you're, you're you've done it. You know, you you made art that you like. Therefore, you have succeeded, and that, thats all that matters, and that's—that's that's what's important to keep in mind when you make stuff like this, um, because that's—that's that's how people find you sincere and know you're genuine about, you know, getting drunk and reading audiobooks or making people happy. That's what it's all about. It's about the passion, goddamn it! It's about the passion. Anyway, uh, those names again: Snowy Zombie, spelled exactly like it sounds, and Goblin Screwdriver, spelled exactly like it sounds. And if you make stuff for the interwebs and want people to know about it, hit me up at goingupcast.com. Nope, hold on. That's not gonna. Well, I suppose you could use the contact page on goingupcast.com. But if you want an actual direct line to me, you should use uh, goingupcast at gmail.com. Let me know what you make. You know, send me your, send me your YouTube, send me your Twitches, send me your Etsy pages, whatever, whatever you got. I'll plug it. I'll plug it right here, right now, because that's my, that's my Andrew, Andrew guarantee. You get a you get a shout out on the going up cast. Especially, I think your stuff is good. Hell yeah! <laughs> Let's move on to the next thing in the podcast. So with this with this next chapter, I, I skinned ahead a little bit. Um, it's it's it it um has uh, has a lot to do with the um with the the tribe that lives on Neverland, and it is pretty racially insensitive um so i'm i'm going to outside of the of the the slur that i've been avoiding i'm just going to read how it's written here and we're just gonna understand that this book was written a shit ass long time ago this book's this this particular chapter seems pretty racist um and we don't condone such things here had going up cast or audiobooks by Andrew but it's it's just it's what it's what it says really so yes outside of the slur i'm just going to believe it and we're just all going to agree that this is terrible and horrible and if this book was written today this shit would not fly so understanding that chapter 10 the happy home one important result of the brush on the lagoon was that it made the indigenous people their friends peter saved tiger lily from a dreadful fate and that was nothing she and her braves would not do for him all night they sat above keeping watch over the house under the ground and awaited the big attack by the pirates which obviously could not be much longer delayed especially because now we're more than halfway through this book even by day they hung about smoking the pipe a piece and looking almost as if they wanted tidbits to eat they called peter the great white father prostrating themselves before him and he liked this tremendously so that it was not really good for him Page one fifty-one. The great white father, he would say to them in a very lordly manner as they groveled at his feet, is glad to see the Piccaninny warriors protecting his wigwam from the pirates. Um, I believe this is Tiger Lily speaking, so. Me, Tiger Lily, said that lovely creature, uh, uh the lov- that lovely creature would reply, Peter Pan saved me. Me, his velly nice friend. Me, no let pirates hurt him. She was far too pretty to cringe in this way, but Peter thought it w- uh, it his due, and he would answer condescendingly, it is good peter pan has spoken always when he said peter pan has spoken he meant that they must now shut up and they accepted it humbly in that spirit they were by no means so respectful to the other boys whom they looked upon just as ordinary braves they said how do to them and things like that but what annoyed the boy uh, was that peter seemed to think this all right secretly wendy sympathized with them a little but she was far too loyal a housewife to listen to any complaints against father father knows best Always, um, Showa said whatever her private opinion must be. Her private opinion was that the indigenous people should not call her a squaw. Page 152. We have now reached the evening that was to be known among them as the Night of Nights, because this... thats the long night. The dead march on Winterfell. You guys remember that shit? Man, so stupid. Because of its adventures and their upshot. The day, as of quietly gathering its forces, had been almost uneventful, and now the indigenous folk... Uh, in their blankets were at the posts above while below the children were having their evening meal all except peter who had gone out to get the time the way he got the time on the island was to find the crocodile and then stay near him till the clock struck this meal <laughs> that's pretty good oh god the pirates talk fuck all right anyway this meal happened to be a make-believe team they all sat around the board guzzling in their greed and really what with their chatter and recriminations the noise as well as wendy um said as wendy said was positively definitely deafening to be sure she did not mind noise but she simply would not have them grab things and then excusing themselves by saying toodles had pushed their elbow oh it's the, it's the lost boys talking anyway there was a fixed rule that they must never hit back at meals but should refer the matter of dispute to wendy by raising the right arm politely and saying i complain of so and so but what usually happened was they forgot to do this or did it too much "'Silence!' cried Wendy for the twentieth time. She had told them that they were not at all to speak at once. "'Is your calabash empty, slightly, darling?' "'Not quite empty, mummy,' Slightly said, after looking into an imaginary mug. "'He hasn't even begun drinking his milk,' Nibs interposed. "'This was telling,' and Slightly seized his chance. "'I complained of Nibs!' he cried promptly. John, however, held up his hand first. "'Well, John, may I sit in Peter's chair as he is not here?' "'Sit in Father's chair, John. "'Wendy was scandalised. "'Certainly not. "'Not really our father,' John answered. He doesn't even, he didn't even know how a father does till I showed him. This was a grumbling. We complain of John, cried the twins. Tootles held up his hand. He was so much the humblest of them, indeed he was only humble one, and Wendy was especially gentle with him. Page one hundred four. I don't suppose, Toodles said diffidently, that, that I could be father. No, Tootles. Once Tootles began, which was not very often, he had a silly way of going on. As I can't be father, he said heavily. I don't suppose, Michael, would you let me be baby? no i won't michael wrapped up he was already in his basket what all right whatever i don't know all right whatever i don't care whatever whatever michael's into that's his business no shame in here but it's i'm just gonna keep going keep on tracking as i can't be baby toodle said getting heavier and heavier do you think i'd be a twin no indeed replied the twins it's awfully difficult to be a twin "'As I can't be anything important,' said Tootles, "'would any of you like to see me do a trick?' "'No,' they all replied. "'Then at last he stopped. "'I hadn't really any hope,' he said. "'The hateful telling broke out again. "'Slightly is coughing on the table. "'Twins began with a mammy's apple. Curly is taking both tapas rolling only Nibs.' "'Page 455. "'Nibs is speaking with his mouth full. "'I complain of the twins. "'I complain of Curly. "'I complain of Nibs.' "'Oh, dear, oh, dear,' cried Wendy. "'I'm sure I sometimes think that children are more troubled than they are worth.' Showed them to clear away and sat down to her, her work basket a heavy load of stockings and every knee with a hole in them as usual well you're not very good at, at patching these fucking knees up are you if every single day there's more knee holes i know like the boys are rambunctious but at the same time like fucking get some Kevlar or something just sew that shit up anyway wendy C- remonstrance to michael i'm too big for a cradle must have somebody in a cradle, she said almost tartly. And you are the littlest. A cradle is such a nice homey thing to have in a house. Whose fetish is this? Is this Michael's? Because Michael's complaining. Is it Wendy's? Ugh. Ugh. Oh, God. Anyway, nope, no judgment. No judgment. Just. It's fine. It's totally fine. It doesn't hurt anybody. It's totally fine. It's totally fine. When she sewed up, um, when she sewed, they played around her, such a group of happy faces and dancing limbs that lit up by the romantic fire. It had become a familiarly scene in this home under the ground, but we are looking on it for the last time. There was a step above, and Wendy, you may be sure, was the first to recognize it. Children, I hear a father step. He'd like you to meet him at the door. Page 156. Above, the indigenous folk crouched for Peter. Watch well, Braves, I have spoken. And then, so as so often before, the gay children dragged him from his tree. It's often uh, before, but never again. He had brought nuts for the boys as well as the correct time for Wendy. Peter, you spoil them, you know, Wendy simpered. Ah, old lady, said Peter, hanging up his gun. God, this book is fucking weird. It was me told a to mother uh so called old ladies, Michael whispered to Curly. I complain of Michael, Curly said instantly. First twin came to Peter. Father, we want to dance. Dance away, my little man, said Peter, who was in a high good humor. We want you to dance. Peter was really the best dancer mother, but he pretended to be scandalized. "'Me? My old bones would rattle.' "'And mummy, too.' "'What?' cried Wendy. "'The mother of such an awful dance.' Page 157. "'But on a Saturday night,' slightly insinuated. It was not really a Saturday night, at least it may have been. for they had long lost count of the days. But always, if they wanted to do anything special, they said it was Saturday night. And then, of course, they did it. "'Of course it is Saturday night, Peter,' said Wendy, uh, relenting. "'People of all figure, Wendy. "'But it's only among our own progeny. "'True, true.' "'And so they were told they could dance.' "'They must put on their nighties first. "'Old oh, lady,' Peter said aside to Wendy, warming herself by the fire and looking down at her as she s- sat turning a heel. "'There's nothing more pleasant of an evening for you and me when the day's toil is over than to rest by the fire with the little ones nearby.' "'It is sweet, Peter, isn't?' said Wendy, frightfully gratified. "'Peter, I think Curly has your nose. Michael takes after you!' page 158. "'She went to him and put her hand on his shoulder. "'Dear Peter,' she said, "'such a large family, of course, I have now passed my best.' But you don't want me to change, do you? No, Wendy. Suddenly, he did not want to change. And he looked at her uncomfortably, blinking. And, you know, like one, not sure whether he was awake or asleep. I don't know what this chapter is trying to tell us. But it's kind of freaking me out. They're like 11, aren't they? I don't like this at all. Mm. Mmm. Mmm. There. Peter, what is it? "'I was just thinking,' he said, a little scared. "'It is only make-believe, isn't it, that I am their father?' "'Oh, yes,' Wendy supremely. "'You see,' he continued apologetically, "'it would make me seem so old to be their real father. play are has Peter, yours and mine.' "'But not really, Wendy?' he asked anxiously. "'Not if you don't wish it,' she replied. "'She distinctly heard his sigh of relief. "'Peter,' she asked, trying to speak firmly, "'what are your exact feelings for me?' "'Page 159. "'Those of a devoted son, Wendy.' "'I thought so,' she said and went and sat by herself at the extreme end of the room. You're so queer, he said, frankly puzzled. And Tiger Lily is just the same. There's something she wants to be to me, but she says it is not my mother. No, indeed it is not, Wendy replied with frightful emphasis. Now we know why she was prejudiced against the indigenous peoples. Then what is it? It isn't uh, then what is it? It isn't for a lady to tell Oh, very well," said Peter, a little nettled. "Perhaps Tinker Bell will tell me." "Oh yes, Tinker Bell will tell you," Wendy retorted scornfully. "She is abandoned. She is an abandoned little creature." Here, Tink, who was in her boudoir eavesdropping, squeaked out something impudent. "She says she's glories in being abandoned," Peter interrupted. He had a sudden idea. "Perhaps Tink wants to be my mother." <laughs> "You silly ass!" cried Pink with passion. "Is that all she can say?" "Whatever." Page 160. She had said it so often that Wendy needed no translation. I almost agree with her, Wendy snapped. Fancy Wendy snapping. But she had been much tired, tar- uh, tried, tried. And she knew, or is it tired? It's tried. And she knew little of what was to happen before the night was up. If she had known, she would not have snapped. None of them knew. Perhaps it was best not to know. Their ignorance gave them one more glad hour. And as it was to be their last hour on the island, let us rejoice that there were sixty glad minutes in it. They sang and danced in their nightgowns, such a deliciously creepy song it was, which, what, in which they pretended to be frightened at their own shadows, little witting that so soon shadows would close in upon them, from whom they would shrink in real fear. So uproariously gay was the dance, and how they buffeted each other on the bed and out of it. It was a pillow fight rather than a dance, and when it was finished, the pillows insisted on one more bout, like partners who know they might never meet again. The stories they told, before it was time for Wendy's goodnight story, even Slyly tried to tell a story at that page 161, night, but the beginning was so fearfully dull that it appalled even him, and he said gloomily, "'Yes, it is a dull beginning, I say, let us pretend that it is the end.'" And then at last, they all got into bed for Wendy's story. The story they loved best, the story Peter hated. Usually, when she began to tell this story, he left the room or put his hands over his ears. And possibly, if he had done either of those things this time, they might all still be on the island. But tonight, he remained on his stool. And we shall see what happened. Yes, indeed, we shall. <laughs> Is it cruel of me to leave the podcast on such a cliffhanger? Yes. Yes, it is cruel. But thank you very much for listening to this week's episode of the Going Upcast. I want to thank all of you for listening, including my Patreon supporters for supporting the Going Upcast during these troubling times. All of your constant support means the world to me. I hope you're all staying safe out there, washing your dang hands, wearing your dang masks. This this horrible nightmare will be over one day. But for right now, all we need to do is, you know, stay inside, stay safe, stay, stay, stay friendly and um, only go out when you super duper need it to and i know a lot of states are reopening but you gotta remember that outside of the passage of time nothing about this virus has really changed we understand it better sure but you are just there is just as much risk of you catching it now as there was a couple of months ago as there most likely will be from a couple of months from now so you gotta be vigilant you gotta maintain social distancing you gotta stay safe And I hope you all enjoyed this week's episode, and I will see you all thrive this week for more Eldest chapters, and next week for another brand new episode of The Going Up Cat. Have a good one, everyone.